Hey, Joe, what happened when you and Salvi had the Copa that time? What? When you gave him a beating. You mean when I caught his head in the taxi cab door, I was banging it, smacked him with a glass and everything? Yeah. I told you about that. Huh? No. I never told you? No, you never told me. That was no big thing anyway. I smacked him in the mouth. He was drunk. He started some shit. Had to go downtown, straighten it all out with Tom. He's all forgotten about, supposedly, anyway. How come you never told me about it? Well, it didn't have anything to do with you. Had nothing to do with me? No. Who did that have something to do with? Vicky? Hey, Jack. I just explained the whole thing to you, didn't I? Yeah. It was between me and Salvi. If it had anything to do with you and Vicky, I would have told you about it. That's not what I heard, Joe. What do you mean, that's not what you heard? That's not what I heard. Well, what'd you hear? I heard some things. You heard about me and Salvi, then? I heard things, Joey. Yeah, you heard that I cracked Salvi all around. What'd you hear? I heard things, Joey. I heard things. What things you heard? I heard some things. Hey, you heard things. You want to worry? Don't start that worrying shit. You know what you should worry about? Worry you got this title fight next month. That's what you should worry about. Do that. Christ. Salvi fuck Vicky. What? Salvi fuck Vicky. Hey, Jack. Don't Joe. start your shit. No, really, don't start. Joey, I asked you. Didn't I actually keep an eye on And it? I did keep an eye on it. Yes, I what did. How come you him a beat? I told you that. I told you what that was all about. It didn't have nothing to do with you. He's, he thinks he's a Joe, wise guy now. Joey, don't lie to me. I'm not lying. What do I look like to you, huh? Hey, I'm your brother. You're supposed to believe me. Don't you trust me? No, I don't. Well, you don't. That's nice. I don't trust you when it comes to her. I don't trust nobody. Now, tell me what happened. I told you exactly what happened. He got out of line. I slapped him around. Tommy straightened it all out, and it's all over. You give me that look, Joey. I got to accept your answer, you know? But I'm telling you now, if I hear anything, I swear on our mother, I'm gonna kill somebody. I'm gonna kill somebody, Joey. Well, go ahead and kill everybody. You're a tough guy, go kill people. Kill Vicky, kill Salvi, kill Tommy Como, kill me while you're out. What do I care? You're killing yourself the way you eat. You're a fat fuck, look at you. What do you mean, I don't understand, what do you mean kill you? Me, kill me. Start here, kill me first, do me a fucking favor. Cause you're driving me crazy. You're a killer, you're a big shot. Just kill, you're a killer. Excuse me, what do you mean by you, though? So? What does that mean? Don't yeah, mean even, nothing. Even you don't even know what you meant by you. Don't mean nothing. Joey, that meant something. You mentioned Tommy, you mentioned Salvi, you mentioned you. You included you with them. You could have said anybody, but you said you and them. You really let this girl ruin your life. Look at you. She really did some job on you. You know how fucking nuts you are? Look what she did to you. You fucked my wife. What? You fucked my wife. How could you ask me a question like that? How could you ask me? I'm your brother. You ask me that? Where do you get your balls big enough to ask me that? Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? I that one, you cheap dime store hood. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 189, Raging Bull. I know it's been a long time since I've gone down this route, but 189. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Wow. Who would have thought? And we have a very fun lead up to episode number 200, which is insane. It doesn't really feel that long ago to me that we did episode 100. That was Jaws, right? Well, it's been a little over two years. Wow. When you think about it, there's 52 weeks a year. Time does fly when you're having fun, as they say. (laughs) Having fun, doing movies. Wow, yeah. Just being really sad about life. So if you are a listener to the show, we would appreciate you spreading the word, telling your friends about it. And also, if you're listening to this episode, the most recent one, then you know there's a certain amount of quality that we're bringing now that maybe we weren't bringing in the first 50 to 100 episodes. Yeah, I'd say there's been a a little bit of a curve. But I think it's common courtesy when you start listening to a new podcast to, to try out some of the more recent ones first. As long as it's not a narrative story type podcast where you have to start at the beginning. Which this one kind of is. (laughs) It's just, it's the right thing to do to let yourself hear the most recent and see how the show is now versus how it was when it started. Because naturally everybody's going to be a little rougher at the beginning. So if you have some friends that you're going to introduce to the podcast, have them check out the more recent ones first. Yeah. Before starting at D2 and... (laughs) All of that stuff we did at the beginning. I know, that is rough. So you can find us on Twitter, at GreatestPod, and as always, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Podbean. This is our second Martin Scorsese movie. Somehow we've only done two. I think probably because they're a little intimidating to try to cover. Yeah, explicit in nature usually, I would say as well. Very dense, foreboding, usually pretty long movies, a lot to think about, and such like towering presences in the film world as we were talking about before we hit record. Just sort of known classics, and I do kind of feel like for a while we were straying away from the like top most obvious heavy hitters like Goodfellas and things like that weren't really popping as things we wanted to tackle right away course now we're approaching 200 episodes like anything's on the table yeah well there was a conscious effort in the beginning to pick more things off the beaten path but we quickly learned that yeah people weren't as interested in those (laughs) things as we were we haven't learned all our lessons there i guess we the lessons have been learned but sometimes we just don't care and we just do the. well we we gotta do do. some for us yeah right like bug juice yes (laughs) anyway it's good to be back after a break We probably aren't going to take another break until our customary November break up until like Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's true. Which we like to do. So get ready for a hot run. I think the rest of 2020 is going to be pretty big. Yeah. A lot of big, fun movies to do. It's been a while probably for some of the listeners to really, you know, some of the few subscribers that we have, you know, they see that new episode hit, see the topic that we're doing, and they're actually like, ooh. But I feel like that's that's going to happen a little bit more regularly. Maybe. You never can tell. We yeah. already talked about this. Hard how to say. In our post-COVID comeback series, the Neon Demon was the biggest one by far in terms of downloads, which doesn't make any sense. It's weird. We're so, easing our way back. Who in. knows? Yeah. Raging Bull, number four on the 10th anniversary of the AFI Top 100, which is 
crazy, and that's what yeah, kind of what is. I was referring to in terms of the foreboding presence of a Scorsese movie. This is sort of considered his magnum opus. Yeah, although that a lot is of wild. people probably like Goodfellas more. It feels to me like that is like the number one overall, like right in the heart of his career. Goodfellas is probably more fun. Sure, Raging is Bull fun. is probably a more a testament to artistry, the perfection of the craft. It's considered the best edited film of all time oh, by well. a lot of people. It is interesting watching it now because it is so weirdly similar to The Irishman in so many ways. I was seeing similarities to other movies, but I'd like to hear what the similarities are to The well, Irishman. I, I, well, the obvious being De Niro and Pesci, but that's consistent in a lot of his movies. But I, I just thought with like the age thing how they kind of are, are jumping the in the amount time. of time yeah yeah and the transformation in the looks of the characters which is sort of a big part of it and even like the re- relationship with the mob yeah it, it feels like lamada is i don't know his character over time is interesting too because in the beginning it's like or the first half i guess i should say i, I certainly don't want to say he's heroic but he <laughs> He has like a stoic presence, and then it's like in his older age, he's like almost like this gregarious goofball. Like a clown. Yeah. yeah. I saw a lot of similarities to the character arc of Jake LaMotta to Dark Diggler. Well, yeah, I wanted to talk about that, particularly when we get to the end. Yeah, it's very. Everyone always says that Boogie Nights takes a lot from Goodfellas, and it does in terms of like style and some of the techniques and everything. That's and right, yeah. Sort of the ensemble and like the big sweeping shots and everything, but like in I, terms the of the end, character arc, it's it's yeah. similar to Raging Bull. The famous uh, Boogie Nights scene that has to be like an homage to like the end yeah. where he's looking in the mirror. That that feels like a straight reference to uh, the end of Raging Bull. Yeah, and I think like a lot of filmmakers really revere Raging Bull. One of the special features on the Blu-ray was like Richard Kelly. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Scott like, Cooper and I, I, Kimberly <laughs> Pierce and uh, a couple other directors, like, all gushing of a raging bull. Is there anyone who has less of a career that still, like, is always popping up in these things, talking well, about other Well, this Blu-ray movies? is, like, probably 10 years old yeah. at this point. Anyway, in case you haven't figured it out, directed by Martin Scorsese, adapted by a bunch of people, including Paul Schrader, who also wrote Taxi Driver. That's right. I would say, yeah, it feels like Paul Schrader, someone we're kind of a fan on on this show. The original script was done by a guy named Mardik Martin. I don't think they really used much of his original script. In fact, I think most of the stuff in the movie, from what I was gathering, was probably taken from an uncredited rewrite by De Niro and Scorsese. Yeah. They sort of went off and like redid it themselves. Yeah, I know when I was reading about it, it, it said that they sort of contributed heavily to it. Yeah, I don't think Schrader was really all that interested in boxing or the material, and he contributed some stuff, but he was also sort of goofing around with it, trying to put, like, crazy shit in it. And some of it, like, made it in, but in, like, less explicit versions. Like, he had him, like, jacking off and then, like, icing his balls down, and instead there's, like, the part where he's, like, dumping the icy water down his shorts and stuff. He just was, like, seeing what he could get away with, and I don't think he really felt, like, a big connection to it, but... It came from Jake LaMotta's 1970 memoir, Raging Bull, My Story, which De Niro was reading on the set of Godfather Part Two, and immediately wanted to make into a movie. He knew Scorsese from 
kind of growing up together, but not really together. But they had done a couple of movies, Mean Streets, and I think De Niro is also in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, isn't he? Something yeah. like that. And so he brings it to Scorsese. Scorsese doesn't really want to do it at first. Yeah, it almost felt like the way I was reading about it was he, he wasn't really that interested in the source material, but more Jake LaMotta's sort of uh, issues with jealousy and rage, it seemed like. Yeah, Scorsese, not a sports fan, doesn't really know anything about sports, doesn't really know anything about boxing or particularly like boxing or care about it. But eventually when he was in the hospital, because his life was sort of spiraling out of control at the time with drugs. Oh, uh, sure, yeah. And then he finally decides to do it, and he realizes he can sort of relate to the character of Jake LaMotta. That's one of the big things about Raging Bull that I think transcends what you would normally think of with this type of movie. Is it a sports movie? Is it a biopic? It certainly doesn't feel like either of those things, which is why it's so good, because biopics are usually terrible, in my opinion. Most of them are not that fun. Yeah, it feels like the majority of them come off as boring. And you sort of forget that Jake LaMotta is a real person and was alive at the time of the movie and would live much longer after the movie until like 2017. He lived to like the age of 95. But you don't really think of that when you're watching this because it seems like a character. Because it doesn't feel like a biopic. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, well, if this was a real person, there's no way he's alive. Yeah. Holy shit. (laughs) Okay. So the movie was released in 1980 towards the end of the year. It only made about $23.4 million at the box office on an $18 million budget, which yeah. still really wasn't a big hit. It got mixed reviews. United Artists, who put the film out, really sort of struggled to promote it because they were that would be hard. dealing with the monstrosity of the albatross of Heaven's Gate at the time, oh, and they yeah. just didn't really have the money <laughs> yeah. to pro- properly promote the film. The oft-referenced Heaven's Gate. Although eventually, of course... Raging Bull would achieve this iconic status. It did yeah. better initially with the Academy Awards. It got eight Oscar nominations, and it would go on to win two, one for De Niro for Best Actor, and then it would win Best Editing for Thelma Schoonmacher. And then of course, it's in black and white. Now, there are sequences in color. Although, is this also the year that The Elephant Man came out? Yeah, it was tied with so- The Elephant Man for the most... Oscar nominations. Two primarily black and white movies. Big hits that year. Yeah. The problem here, I guess, is it's a couple years after Rocky, which was also nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. Uh, One of the producers was the same. When we were talking about this before the show, actually I was thinking of that, and we'll we'll talk about the boxing matches and the choreography of those matches, but Rocky, same thing. Like, if boxing was the way it's portrayed in these movies, it would be way more fun to watch. Like people just Everyone like, would be dying immediately. Like just like beating the shit out of themselves, not like defending themselves at all. Uh, so the, the boxing is fun. Raging Bull has gone on to be considered one of the best edited films of all time. Thelma Schoonmacher really just known for editing Scorsese's movies. She won best editing two more times for him with The Aviator and The Departed. There you go. But... I do think the editing is what contributes to this not feeling like a biopic because it knows when to just jump to the next thing and get in and out of stuff in the right way so that you feel like this sort of montage patiche feel of like these snapshots of time that tell you the story without somehow you're, you're able to move seamlessly through the years and yet the story feels coherent like it's one continuous thing of his building jealousy and obsession and rage and all that stuff 
but it's taking place over essentially 20 something years it starts in like right. 41 and then the last thing is in 64 i believe yeah i mean there's definitely some hard cuts in there too now it's considered one of the best films of the 1980s it's a strange thing to say it often gets credited as that it makes a lot of the lists a lot of the big time important lists yeah, as I mean, that well, but like that's wild it's I mean, weird AFI, to think of it as four. a as an 80s movie <laughs> That's true, yeah. But I guess when you it say 80s older. movie, you're thinking like something else. Yeah. You're thinking like Back to the Future. I'm thinking or like less than zero. <laughs> That's your number one. That's right, yeah. So let's find out a little bit about our titular character, The Raging Bull, The Bronx Bull, Jake LaMotta. July 10th, 1922 to September 19th, 2017. So he was an old guy. He outlived. Vicky, even who I think died in like 2005, and was yeah, younger. you wouldn't think. I mean, his body uh, certainly took some tolls, and even in his post-boxing career, it doesn't seem like he was necessarily treating himself the best. He was an American professional boxer, world middleweight champion, and stand-up comedian. I like how he gets wow. that yeah. noted in his Wikipedia. Nicknamed the Bronx Bull or Raging Bull, Lamada was a rough fighter who was not a particularly big puncher but he would subject his opponents to vicious beatings in the ring. With use of constant stalking, brawling, and inside fighting, he developed a reputation for being a bully. He was what is often referred to today as a swarmer and a slugger. (laughs) I like how they're like, you know, that modern term slugger that we don't understand. Oh, I know, that's right. But I think the most noteworthy thing about him is his iron jaw, as they call it. He seemingly could just take endless punches to the face. And I don't think he ever went down in a boxing match until he was fighting well above his regular weight when he tried to make a comeback (laughs) as a light heavyweight. Yeah, it did seem like he had some struggles with food. Yeah. Well, they don't get into that in this movie. They just act like he retired and then drifted into this weird stand-up comedian thing that he tried to do. But he actually did try to make a boxing comeback and I think was kind of embarrassing, like they all are. Even in his... Prime, there's like times during the movie where they're talking about how much he's eating and calling him a fat ass, and I'm like, yeah, boy, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's the craziest thing about Raging Bull. I think when people talk about this movie or when they think about it, they're thinking about the transformation of Robert De Niro to do a real life weight gain in the middle of the movie. Nowadays, everyone makes a big deal about Christian Bale and his oh, yeah. transformations are crazy. I mean, he, how skinny he was in the Borderline machinist unhealthy to how fat he was in Vice. But this was all in one movie, and you're going from him being in insane shape at the beginning of the movie because he's not just like a regular guy. He's in like tip top shape to be this boxer at the beginning, peak physical condition, and then by the end of the movie, when he's playing like the older version of Lamada. He's Gut, this fat like, hanging pig. over his pants, yeah. <laughs> Me, literally. <laughs> this movie is like my life story in a lot of ways, well, except I mean. for the boxing. Like, <laughs> I love when he's, yeah, like this earlier part in his career when he's pushing 165 and they're just like, come on, you fat ass, like stop eating, you gotta get it down. It's just like, boy, you have no idea. So De Niro put on about 70 pounds-ish. He went from like 145 to 215. They basically stopped filming at a certain point He then went on like a binge eating tour of northern Italy and France. Wow, just for him. Putting on as much 
weight as possible over like four months then they come back yeah. and they shoot all the stuff with him fat you and i have gone on some similar challenges <laughs> to all the eaton parks That's in right. the area yeah. <laughs> yeah and i don't know I, I i don't know if anything comparable had really happened to that point in terms of like a transformation within a movie or since really that i can think of because the christian bale ones are probably the most noteworthy now but that's just to get into a certain shape before the movie and then that's just how it is for the movie yeah i think i don't know it is wild it does maybe seem he like... did put on like weight during vice i, I don't know maybe he's skinny at the beginning it just does not remember. seem like to rapidly put on that much weight and then take no it it's off. not healthy yeah but you it, gotta love that commitment he won the oscar that's right so they're casting the movie de niro convinces scorsese to do it they gotta find who's gonna play all these other parts He's watching a movie on TV called The Death Collector, and he sees a struggling actor, sort of obscure, named Joe Pesci. And De Niro picks him out, wants him to play his brother Joey in the movie. Yeah, what a pick it ended up being. Yeah, and the the three of them, Scorsese, Pesci, De Niro, would collaborate a bunch of times, and up until The Irishman, really. Just like so many iconic scenes with Pesci in these Scorsese movies. He's great in this. Like, you could see where it's all heading. Yeah, and for most of it, he plays, like, the opposite of what we would come to expect from the two. Like, oh, that's true. De Niro's the crazy one in this, and he's the Pesci's, level-headed. like, calm and trying yeah. to, like, calm him down. Except for, of course, the one insane scene. Right. Also in The Death Collector was a, an actor named Frank Vincent. So oh, yeah. Pesci gets him as well to play Salvi Bats in this movie. And then Frank Vincent would sort of go on to a career as like a lesser yeah. level mob actor. Hey, Phil Leotardo, though. Yeah. Actually, you know, I was thinking of Sopranos because, I mean, there's a, obviously a bunch of stuff in this. All the like, oh, but the, the uh, Blue Comet episode, kind of the big action episode towards the end of the series. I remember like this song from Raging Bull is just awesome. And, and they play it at like the dinner scene when they're like talking about like how they're going to try to whack phil leotardo or whatever they briefly play like the raging bull theme in like the background you mean like from the opening of the movie yeah yeah so the last part they needed to cast of course was the the part of vicky lamada jake's young wife that he meets and it's sort of like the important part of the movie because it <laughs> it yeah, basically sure. just sends him on a spiral of <laughs> just can't recover from unbelievable jealousy and rage they didn't really have anyone in mind for that either. It's like, I, I don't know what Scorsese was doing at this point in his life. I guess he was just unable to cast people in movies because everybody that gets cast in this other than De Niro just kind of comes from an accident because Joe Pesci, this guy that they didn't really know that they pulled out of this third-rate movie that was airing on TV. Yeah, He's like, hey, I saw a picture of this girl <laughs> at wow. like a disco or something. And they're <laughs> like, oh yeah, this, she looks great. And they reel her like, in. Do the right thing casting, speaking of Frank Vincent. And she was like 17 at the time when they met her and like never had been in anything, never acted before. Wow. And she ends up being nominated for Best Supporting Actress or, or whatever at the Academy Awards that year. And I wouldn't say Kathy Moriarty is like a big time star or big time actress. This was the highlight of her career was basically the first movie she was in. Yeah. But she's still in stuff now. She was just in some oh, terrible wow. movie with Sherilyn Fenn called like Shooting Holy Heroin or shit. something. <laughs> wow. When are we doing that for the pod? And I mean, that's a 2020 release. So, I mean, she's 
she did a lot of Law and Order stuff. So I mean, she had like a legitimate career that yeah. came out of this. She looks good in this movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd I mean, argue that you can yeah. see what Pesci saw in her. Definitely a pretty gal. I was like, that's kind of like a funny yeah thing. It's just like this dude comes up to her. If you and I could somehow make a movie, you know that that's like how we would land on the female <laughs> character. Just like some girl that works in a soap store. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's an inside joke, folks. Well, I think that's how David Lynch casts people, or or at least used to oh, before she's he interesting had like, relationships. Looking. Yeah, I mean, he used like headshots. I think it was just based on like he had a look in his mind that's of right. like what he wanted people to look like. That's how he cast Mahone. I'd always be like, I'm looking for the Matthew Sweet girlfriend album cover, like that Tuesday kind of look. Weld yeah, of 1960 whatever. So this is a quote from Kathy Moriarty that I thought was pretty funny, talking about her. Uh, getting cast in this movie so i go in there and my knees are shaking and i'm breaking out in goosebumps because i'm embarrassed and cold all these guys are whistling and stuff then all of a sudden the mc announces i won first prize and i say hey this is really funny so this italian guy comes up and asks if he can take my picture and i say sure go ahead because he's going to take it anyway and what do you know this same guy calls me three weeks later and says his name is joe pesci and asks if i'd like to test for a part in this movie about a boxer named jake lamada (laughs) (laughs) and on the blu-ray they have like her appearance on the tonight show in like 1981 with johnny carson and i watched like a minute of it because it was kind of unbearable but when he like introduces her and she comes out from behind the curtain like the audience is like (laughs) you know what i mean it's like it's crazy yeah that is wild just like cat calling (laughs) really just a different time but seriously speaking, folks, we have a special guest with us tonight. I'd like to introduce the world's leading middleweight contender, the Bronx Bull, the Raging Bull. Let's hear for the great Jake LaMotta, ladies and gentlemen. As you mentioned, it's in black and white, which gives it sort of this strange mashing together of like this elegant classy older feel but it also in a way makes you need to focus more on the violence and pay attention to it although i do think if this was in color they would have had a hard time getting an r with the amount of blood yeah i'd Uh, say so i know like quentin did that for kill bill he just like put the one part in black and white and they were like oh yeah that's fine whenever he was like having trouble getting an r yeah for some reason the red of the blood sometimes is hard and like the blood is crazy in some of these scenes if you see like the color photographs that like aren't a part of the movie because they were like behind the scenes stuff it's like there's blood everywhere and everything it's kind of crazy because sometimes when it's in black and white you think some of it might be sweat or you know it's hard to (laughs) tell sometimes there's like this very visceral animalistic primal feeling to the movie which of course fits the character of jake lamotta who's sort of uh an animalistic guy unhinged yeah and the beginning is him alone in the ring the music is playing that you're talking about it's like this majestic sweeping music he's sort of bouncing around in slow motion it's a beginning to a movie that sort of commands your attention and and your respect right off the bat you're like okay this is something well yeah i mean it almost it has like this elegant feel to it yes it's almost like like a contradiction of everything there's like this elegant classy feel to the music and the slow motion but then there's like this tiger 
in a cage ready to come out right it's very reminiscent of course to like mike tyson who was like a, a similar type of boxer although he was like a heavyweight and would knock people out that sort of like once the bell rings sort of this animal comes out and that's what attracts people to it yeah Lamato really wasn't as a big of a puncher as somebody like that, so he wasn't like knocking people out. All these fights seemed to go on forever. <laughs> these oh, I endless know. Rounds. Just like jumping to like round ten, <laughs> just punching each other like crazy. Yeah, you're like, how are these guys still standing, Not defending at all? Right, <laughs> <laughs> never putting their arms up. So let's jump into it. New York, 1964. We get a little taste of the fat Lamata. At the beginning, he's practicing this terrible routine that he does. That oh, I, I know. It's supposed to be comedy. It's embarrassing. Really dark. <laughs> Although, I will say that later in the movie, there are some scenes where he's like getting laughs. Yeah. And I'm like, what? I, I mean, it's it's better than working for a living, you know? It, it does go back to that thing of like the modern day equivalent of it now is these people that are like, quasi celebrities for a little bit and then can like make a career of like going around to these cons like charging people for autographs yeah it's like if you can make a living doing that and not have to deal with like the bullshit that the rest of us do good for you yeah that is true although sometimes depending on how big they were at one point it's kind of a rough look yes i mean is. if you were never in that this big, case i would say <laughs> if you were never that big then hey yeah who cares right but yeah, whenever you were like somebody and then you're re- telling reduced jokes to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, his club is kind of cool, I guess, or it looks yeah. kind of cool. Although he it seems, seems like, like he just made some bad decisions there. He also seems like he would have just been unbearable for people at a certain point. People are attracted to the celebrity for a minute. And then even in that brief moment before he gets in trouble with the, the underage girl stuff, you know, he's, like, knocking that woman's drink over, and he's, like, saying all those bad jokes, like... Yeah. You know, and... You could smell I think, like, the people desperation are like, on him. Oh, he was a boxing champion. He was a somebody. Let's be around him. And then I think that would wear thin on a yeah, lot of those people. Yeah, a lot of those people are like, on second thought, let's not be around him. We went. We don't need to go again. Yeah. And I think that club would have died either way pretty quick. Okay. So after we get this little shot of Lamada in his retirement... We jump back to 1941. We see him as a boxer. He's suffering his first career loss in Cleveland. It's a controversial loss. There's like a riot that breaks out. But it starts the narrative that's going to kind of run through a lot of his career, which is this hard luck, hard done by, being screwed over. Yeah. Through these early years, I I was having a really hard time gauging. I mean, I know like Jake LaMotta is a famous boxer. I was really having a hard time gauging his level of financial success and fame. I mean, it doesn't seem like... Well, once he wins the title or, or around that time, it's when he like buys the house. It's, yeah. like, it's not exactly in the suburbs, but it's not in the city anymore. Right. It's like out in the Bronx or somewhere. Remember, they yep. like get a house. I don't necessarily think boxers made as much money as like... Yeah, I'm thinking you know, not. It seems like... Like Floyd Mayweather making like $100 million. I, yeah. I don't really think anything like that was happening. <laughs> no pay-per-views. But, it, you know, this stuff was on TV. Yeah, but... Yeah. I mean, do you think they were... They didn't like, have those massive TV deals? I don't think they were giving the, the boxers like a fair cut. This was like the 1940s and a lot of the boxers were black. So, you know, right off the bat, they're probably going to screw them yeah. over. I mean, you know, it does seem like and as they allude to or outright show us in this movie the real money was in the gambling as it always is that's right 
Raging Bull is a story of simmering rage, uncontrollable anger, and we get a little taste of it with the LaMotta family, domestic bliss, Jake and his first wife, Irma, and he's like demanding the steak. <laughs> yeah. You thought I was fooling around, didn't you? Tell me the truth. I'm going to fool around. That's in your mind. Yeah, so what? That championship belt on me. That's when I fool around. Is it done? No, it's not done. Don't overcook it. You overcook it, it's no good. It defeats its own purpose. What are you doing? I just said don't overcook it. You're overcooking it. Bring it over. Watch your steak. Bring it over. Bring it over. It's like a piece of charcoal. Bring it over here. You want your steak? Yeah, right now. Can't wait to be done. No, yeah. I can't wait. Good. Okay? Happy? Happy? That's all I want. That's, That's all I want. Here. Not more. There. You bought me about a steak, huh? You bought me about a steak? Yeah. I agree with you. We should be with Tommy. If he's in a good mood, I'll talk to him. What the fuck you want me to do? But this Joey, Tommy tells me every day to talk to you and speak to Jake to straighten this thing out. I mean, I'm gonna wind up in the middle of this thing. You're in the middle. I'm his brother. He's got me fucking nuts. You're his brother. If you can't talk to him, who's gonna talk to him? I'll talk to him. Do what you can, that's all. That's all I'm asking you. All right, I'll see you tomorrow. Let me go. All right? Where are you going to be? Be at the gym or the other joint. One of the I'll catch you by the gym. All right. South. Yeah. He's like, complain some more. I want to hear. I want to hear. I want to hear. Call those carrots. That's right. They were carrots. Did you eat them? Did you eat them? I got no choice. I got no choice. I got no choice. Hey, you! Come on, Jack. I'm gonna get hold of that dog and I'm gonna eat it for lunch. You hear what I'm saying? You hear me, Larry? Larry! Crazy animal. Who's an animal? Your mother's an animal, you son of a bitch. You're gonna find your dog dead in the hallway tomorrow, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. You break anything in there, I'm gonna kill you. I swear to God, I'm gonna come in there and I'm gonna kill you. Come on, honey. Let's be let's be friends. Irma, she was played by Lorianne Flax. This was her only film role. Wow, ever. She knocked it out of the park. I thought Irma was actually pretty hot. Yeah, pretty underrated in my opinion. <laughs> Never hear about that chick. <laughs> There was just something about her like getting annoyed and mad and like giving him shit back in a way that I found very oh, I fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean Lindsay and I were watching that scene and I was like, this is like straight out of our relationship. That's like <laughs> You're dinner, demanding like, every more night. food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's always a threat though of violence with everything. We don't see Jake get like super carried away with violence with his wife until later in the film with Vicky but it's always like right there and he references it several times I was gonna say it's alluded to yeah (laughs) really dark and I think 
it's a reminder that in 2020 you can't even like make movies like this anymore oh yeah well certainly not the most positive portrayal of women in this movie people have definitely lost the idea that like depiction does not equal endorsement we've talked about it a million times it's something that drives me completely insane but the the prevailing attitude now would be like well why would you ever even make a movie about somebody so horrible like jake lamotti is like this terrible monster of a person and i mean that's true but the idea is to see this larger than life person struggling with yeah these blown out emotions but the same emotions that anybody feels and it just so happens that he he turns to violence a yeah. lot because he's a boxer. I wouldn't say you feel like he's this glorified hero of the movie, though. No, either. no, but that that doesn't matter to these people okay, that yeah. complain about All everything. Right. It just seems like to celebrate, quote unquote, celebrate by making the movie is like the issue now. This movie is now like forty years old. This is essentially the fortieth anniversary of this yeah. movie. Cancel Raging Bull. <laughs> it just seems like you couldn't even wade into these waters unless it was told from a completely different perspective now yeah but this is the first indication this scene with irma over the stake that the violence is not just in the the ring and you can't help but laugh sometimes scorsese always has a way of making these horrific things funny and this is something we'll return to later in this movie as well today's version would just be like about irma and it's like what happened to her the way that he ditches Irma, and this is like very similar to Jordan Belfort ditching the first wife yes, in Wolf of I, Wall Street. I, I definitely noticed that. some similarities between how they approach that and this. I thought it was funny. He gets like so mad and he basically, when Joey, his brother, shows up, he like shoves Irma into like the bedroom or whatever and she's like shuts the door. And then something that I can relate to, I mean, not... <laughs> I don't want people to think like I'm a violent person, but like you get like really mad and then like for some reason all of a sudden it shuts off entirely. And then he's like pointing at the bedroom and he's like kind of laughing and he's like, what did I do? What did I do? And then he's like, come on, honey, let's be friends or whatever. Like the way that it just shuts off right away too is like very alarming. Yeah. (laughs) But relatable. (laughs) Yeah. But his ability to do that seems to be lost over time. Joey discusses potential middleweight title possibilities. It's another undercurrent in the movie is sort of this uh, low-level mob connection. Yeah, I mean, Joey is his manager, but also, yeah, with whatever's going on with him and, and the mob, I don't know. You never really get the full picture there. It seems like the the local mob boss in this area somehow has a connection to determine a lot of what goes on with like the middleweight title, like who gets shots and stuff. And sometimes has boxers take dives and stuff. And I think that's something that plagued boxing for so long that it eventually became the ruination of the sport was how dirty and corrupt it was. But even just like the level of how deep Joe is in organized crime. I mean, it it feels like he's got to be decently in there because after like what he does to Frank Vincent later, you would think that that would have been way overboard and off limits, but... Well, we don't know how high he is either. Well, that's true. That guy. So, I mean, I don't know. Hard to say. Yeah, they keep a lot of that stuff vague, which is for the best, because that's not really what it's about. Well, yeah, and I'm sure that they don't want to make any accusations. Actually, I think Joey LaMotta did sue them for like $2 million. Oh, wow. I don't know if he won anything or whatever, but I do think... There was like a lot of lawsuits with this movie before, during, after, because there was like a, a sequel... 
that was made and oh, they raging were, bull 2 electric boogaloo i don't know what it was going to be called originally it ended up being called like the bronx bull and it's about jake lamada but they kind of distanced themselves from it being a sequel and it, it became not a sequel because of like lawsuits and stuff and okay i know natasha henstridge is in it oh wow <laughs> and i think Species. uh joe montagna is in it i forget Holy who shit. plays jake lamada it's not that old. It came out like... I was going to say, is this like a straight to sci-fi channel movie? <laughs> Basically, it's yeah. Species 4. Yeah. Uh, I think it was filmed maybe in like 2012 and came out in like 2015. Oh. It, it took so long because of like the lawsuits and stuff. Wow. They had those same two signed on to be in it for 15 years? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think it did go into pre-production in like 2006 or seven. I don't, I don't know. I read about it. I think maybe you have... I'll circle back to that at the end. I think I have something about that okay. in the notes. But the thing that's like most relatable or or almost sympathetic, I mean, you don't want to quite say sympathetic about Jake LaMotta, but you see his aspirations like up against his defeatist mentality because he's, he's talking about how he has small hands. And of course, they look like normal hands and, or even big hands. Oh. But He's like he, that thing from The NeverEnding Story. He's basically like, like big, strong hands. He's like, I can't fight joe lewis i'll never fight joe lewis and it's just kind of the different mentalities between him and his brother because his brother's like yeah he's a heavyweight you're a middleweight we know this we know this or whatever yeah. <laughs> and he, he's like not getting that like jake is like i want to fight the best in the world i want to be the best in the world i think i could beat joe lewis but there's like these outside things whether it's the size of my hands yeah, yeah. or the natural weight that i would fight at that's preventing me from doing this well this is the hard part of the movie to sort of reconcile is this jake lamada juxtaposed with the jake lamada of the future regardless of the horrible things he does to his wife and then his next wife and his brother and all these bad things that happen this early version of him does seem to have this whole code and like not wanting to be involved with the mob and all of these aspirations and stuff and he's very almost kind of reserved and it's just like then when you just see him as like this fat mess like telling jokes yeah but doesn't that happen to a lot of people (laughs) i know it just feels like two completely different a fat mess telling jokes on a podcast (laughs) (laughs) two of them (laughs) yeah well you can't stay hungry and and as ambitious for that long i mean the movie takes place over like 20 something years sure at a certain point, he's not going to be able to really compete at a high level in boxing anymore. And plus, we're going to get to the part where he eventually sells out. And right. he does sort of lose like the one admirable trait that he actually I know, had. Yeah. And that, that's gone at that right. point. You got these small hands. I got like little girls' hands. I got them too. What's the difference? You know what that means? No matter how big I get, no matter who I fight, no matter what I do, I ain't never gonna fight Joe Lewis. Yeah, that's right. He's a heavyweight, you're a middleweight. We know that. I ain't never gonna get a chance to fight the best there is. And you know something? I'm better than him. I ain't never gonna get a chance. You're asking me what's wrong. But you're crazy to even think about something like that. I mean, he's a fucking heavyweight, you're a middleweight. It's impossible. It'll never happen. So, why go crazy thinking about it? It's not normal. Let me think. I want you to meet a face. What? I want you to meet a face. Forget about it. 
No one wants you to meet a face. Go ahead. Right, take your back. I said, forget about it. I ain't doing it. Come on, we have fights all the time. When you worry now, you're gonna hit me in the face. Hit me in the face. Go ahead. No. Oh, are you afraid? Afraid of what? Come on, I'll be a little faggot. Come on, hit me. I ain't a faggot. Take your best shot, Jack. Come on, Jack, huh? You gotta be a real jerk. I want me to punch you in the face. Hey, Joey, did I not tell you just to do it? Now I'm telling you, you gotta do it. I ain't hitting you. Hey, give me a little bit better, Joey. I'm telling you something. I know what you said. I ain't doing it. I don't care if you get mad, I ain't doing it. Fucking nut. Not doing it. Not doing it. I don't have any gloves anyway. What am I gonna hit you with? Table? I ain't doing it. Use that over there. What? That's right, use that. Wrap it around your hand. How many times I gotta tell you? Not too many more. Go ahead. Alright, go ahead. You want me to hit you? I want you to hit me with everything you got. I want you to fucking lay me out. Go ahead. You sure? Yeah. Alright. Harder. Yeah? You throw a punch like you take it up the ass. Come on. <clears throat> harder. 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 That's hard. You fuck. What do you take want? It take it off. Ah, oh, come on. You want to stop now? Take That's enough. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Around, come on. Good girl. Yeah. Huh? I'm going to smack you again. Throw it again. It's enough. Yeah. That's enough. Yeah. Harder. Harder. Nah, your fucking cuts are opening everything. What are you trying to prove? What does it prove? Raging Bull would be basically the beginning of a seemingly endless list of iconic De Niro Pesci scenes, and one of them right here off the bat where he's like asking Joey to like punch him in the face. Yeah. And <laughs> it seems like they're kind of really hitting each other a little bit, and he like wraps his hand up, and then he's like telling him to unwrap it. And Yeah, apart from being his manager, he will like spar with him and stuff in the ring, because during this scene, I was like, Jesus, I, I would... I mean, I'm a Pesci. It's like, I'm not touching you. You just feel like this guy could lose it at any moment and, like, kill you with his bare hands. I think part of it is back in this time period, the training and all that stuff, like, around a boxer or any athlete, really, was just way less loosey-goosey, you know? Oh, sure. Very unprofessional. Like, now they have, like, dietitians, trainers, like, somebody just for weight, somebody just for calisthenics. You know, like, just... Yeah. Very specialized, very like... This was more like the Rocky school of like throw a chicken and chase it around. <laughs> yeah, basically, except maybe even <laughs> more fly that, by yeah. night. It's like the guy who's like managing your career is like taking punches in the <laughs> ring. It doesn't even make yeah. sense. <laughs> Joey's low-level mob connections are attention throughout. We've sort of alluded to like Jake wanting to distance himself from it, not wanting to be a part of it, but... Organized crime and boxing seemingly have always been intertwined because organized crime always sort of gets involved where there's betting to be done, gambling to That's be right. done. Can we get the fix in? So Irma is sort of just like this ghost that sort of flitters in and out of the movie for a minute. And then Jake eventually meets Vicky, played by Kathy Moriarty. She's supposed to be like 15 years old when they meet and Jake covets her like right away. And I was like, wow, that's like fucked up. She's like 15 or whatever. Because you're looking at De Niro, who seems like he's 30 years old, and so you're assuming that like Jake LaMotta was like 30 years old at the yeah. time. But then you're like, you look back on, he's only like eight years older than her, which. Well, there's still some ethical issues there, I would say. Yeah, but not in the 40s. Right. <laughs> I th- I'm pretty sure a lot of like 20 okay, year old du- dudes in their 20s were like getting with teenage girls. It, it and- just was like the way things were. It seems crazier because 
they're saying she's 15 and then you're looking at De Niro and you're thinking like, well, how old is he supposed to be right now? But then right. you're like, you look into it. He was older than her in real life, but not not like 20 years older than her. But yeah, I had that same thought as you as uh, Wolf of Wall Street where it's just like just this sort of blatant, I don't care that I'm married, I'm going for it. Just the not even a thought of I should approach this with some care or be discreet. Like, I just am going for it. Well, it's a typical thing, isn't it? Where he and his first wife are fighting constantly. She's screaming out the window at him. He's staying out all night doing whatever he wants. She doesn't seem to really give a shit about his boxing. He doesn't give a shit about her at all. We don't even know how they met whatever yeah people just got married young he's really supposed to be you know in his early 20s the way that that would work is like somebody who's sort of like self-centered and egotistical like jake is supposed to be very wrapped up in his career and his life he blames her so it's like why do i want to put up with this bullshit she's yelling at me all the time i'm gonna go for somebody else somebody younger who i can control probably and i can do whatever i want plus they position Vicky as like this sexy siren coming out in her bathing suit. I mean, Hanging Kathy out. Moriarty was 20 when they made the movie. I Hanging think, out so. by the pool all the time. Yeah. It's weird, though, because you look at Kathy Moriarty. She's a beautiful woman, but she doesn't seem young to me in this movie. Like, Oh, the, I would agree with that. I was like, oh, she's supposed to be 15. She looks like she's 30. Meanwhile, yeah. she was actually like 19. And I was like, whoa, she looks way older than 19 in this movie. Not that she looks old or bad, but she just has a face where you don't think, like, young. I me. agree with that. I, well, plus, I mean, I quoted you, I think, when we were watching it, because I was like, I, I don't buy this at all. And then this age, and then I said to Lindsay, people just looked older. That's which true, Which is too. what you and, always tell me. And she did. I mean, she was, like, I don't know, 18, 19, 20 when they made the movie, but she looks way older than that anyway. And then she's supposed to be, like, 15 at the beginning. But they wanted somebody who could pull off being older, because she's still herself in the 60s when, at the end right. or whatever yeah. before jake even talks to her for the first time the jealousy is already apparent he's like kind of grilling joey about her wondering if joey had sex with her he's very like concerned because it seems like she's friends with salvi played by frank vincent who's like the 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 mob guy that has the connection with joey she's yep. very like connected with those people in the neighborhood and he hasn't even talked to her. He doesn't even know her. And he's already kind of like... She's got a lot of friends. Getting a little bit obsessive about like who she's with or what she's doing. They have their first meeting at the pool. She's impressed by his car. The courting techniques at this time, very straightforward. Basically best. just, yeah. do you want to go for a ride? And that basically house. meant like, eventually I'm going to put a move on you yeah. and then we're going to be married. <laughs> you were basically accepting like a marriage proposal... At the pool when you're 15. If you get into a car with this guy, that's basically where it's headed. Right. I'm going to take you to my dad's house. It's like Adventureland with Ryan Reynolds' mom's (laughs) basement. Yeah. I guess I didn't really get that at first because I'm like stupid or something. But like it didn't click to me until like the most recent time watching. And I was like, oh, because he's still married. Yeah. (laughs) Like for some reason, I'm like, oh, he must have divorced his wife because he's a good guy. He's not going to cheat on his wife. Oh, come on. Yeah, Like an idiot. I'm not like I'm not getting it. But I was wondering if, like, the simplicity in these things was what led to, like, unhappy marriages and, like, fighting and then eventually way more divorces in America and all this stuff. Because there was no, like, let's get to know each other for, like, a year or two 
Yeah. I want to know everything about you and your family. I want to, you know, we're going to spend all this time together. We're really going to like learn about each other before we get married. It's like, it just didn't seem to happen like that. It was like, I think that you're attractive no, at yeah. the pool. I asked you, you to go get my for car. a ride. Next thing you, like we're, now we're, we're married, married in like right. a year. And then it's like a couple months later, you start like actually getting to know the person and it's just, you realize it's a disaster. Yeah, and I understand, like, women didn't have as much choice or options. I think he was, you know, I'm sure he beat her up plenty of times before they were even married, and she still just did it, because what are you going to do? It feels like there were some issues there, yeah. Jake fights Sugar Ray Robinson in 1943 in Detroit. This is where you really kind of hit the pros and cons of Scorsese not being a boxing fan, not really knowing much about boxing, because he's able to approach the fight scenes in a way that is unlike any other boxing movie or any other sports movie really and he experiments with a lot of different things throughout the movie to present jake's mindset there's like different pov shots different over-the-shoulder shots and then throughout the film the size of the ring gets bigger and smaller depending on jake's mental ability like is he flailing and lost is he like in control and a big tiger destroying yeah and that all makes for each fight feeling a little bit different and unique and the way that like the blood and the black and white and the violence is kind of unlike any other movie really there's such a unique feel there's like that weird fast motion thing when somebody gets knocked through the ropes at one point oh right like yeah. different stuff that he used in other movies but he brings it to boxing but then you also have two guys just slugging away at oh. each other's faces <laughs> for like the entire fight and you're like well, I don't know. I think you should probably like keep your arms up more. Yeah, I mean, it feels like I someone's brain would be hemorrhaging. You, I can't believe you could just take punch after punch to the face without being knocked out. It just seems impossible. Well, that's the thing. It's like stuff like this would make me feel like, yeah, I want to see like Mayweather Pacquiao fight. Or yeah, I'll, I'll spend 150 bucks on this pay-per-view or whatever. And then you watch it two dudes with their arms covering their faces for like five hours and you're like yeah "Eh, you know this isn't as exciting as raging bull made it seem i guess like people weren't as trained back then and probably the fights did have more of like a more wild brawl feel to them but still i mean people would be knocked out just the level of punishment they're taking is off the charts and it's just like you look over and they're like holding up a card that says like round 11 and you're like what Lamata wins the first match, and it's Sugar Ray's first loss. I think in reality they fought each other like six times, and Lamata only won once. But they oh, wow. kind of like make it seem like they were like these big rivals. Yeah, yeah. Because Sugar Ray Robinson is a more famous name than Jake Lamata, so it's sort of like glomming onto that to make him seem like a bigger deal. Although Lamata was champion at one point, he was like well respected. But Sugar Ray Robinson, of course, like a legend. Yeah. Something that would never happen today, though, is they have a rematch in three weeks. (laughs) So not (laughs) only are they punching each other in the face for like two hours, then they're like, let's do it again in three weeks. Sugar Ray wins the rematch. Joey thinks the judges scored it in favor of Robinson because he was enlisting into the Army the following week. And that's sort of a strange reminder that you don't really think about when you're watching this movie is that like a lot of this is taking place concurrent with World War II. I know, that is So wild. like Hitler and all that stuff is going on at the yeah. same time as this. It just feels so disconnected like from that. Like such significant world events and Lamada's just like cruising for babes at the local pool. <laughs> One of the things that jumps out 
about Raging Bull is the home movies section in color, which I think yeah. Jake himself in real life was like a big advisor to the movie. He sort of helped right. train De Niro and helped a lot. And he, De Niro also went down to Florida and spent time with Vicky, who, by the way, appeared in Playboy when she was like 51. Oh, wow. In Good like 1980, her. like when this came out. Did you check that out for researching for this episode? Yeah, she was unbelievable. Wow. At, at like 50 or whatever. I was Good like, for Holy her. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of things started making sense yeah, at okay. that point. I was right. like, yeah. all right, I can see why you'd go a little crazy <laughs> <laughs> with jealousy. <laughs> Vicky Lamato was an attractive woman in real life, which is no surprise. I mean, that's sort of just how it works. Yeah. But anyway, so he went, you know, De Niro went down there. And spent time with Vicky as well and watched these home movies. And then they sort of recreated them for this part of the movie. And this is the only part of the film that's that's in color, color. which is really weird. Yeah. And almost like one of those things that if you're not paying super close attention, you don't even really notice. And then you think about it later. It still has like a grainy feel because it is. Yeah, because it looks like like real home movies. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it it is kind of jarring though, too, because you feel like the black and white is an artistic choice. And then this just right in the middle. The black and white was like something they almost like lucked into because the boxing gloves didn't seem to be the right color. Okay. And then it all sort of clicked at that point. I guess like they could have just got different gloves, but it just made sense all of a sudden for Scorsese to be like, this should be in black and white. It was a way to like distinguish itself from other boxing movies, specifically Rocky, which was still in everybody's mind at that time. And like we said, I mean, it added like a certain certain amount of class sure. and elegance yeah. to to the proceedings. So Jake marries Vicky. It's this idyllic interlude. It's this brief, picturesque moment here portrayed in these uh, yeah. movies. It's like the calm before the storm, before Jake's obsessive jealousy, rage, paranoia, and <laughs> temper issues will swallow him whole and leave his life, career, and personal relationships in ruin. Yeah. So there's, there's there's some actually some like really there's a couple of really great moments between Jake and his brother. I feel like where Joey is just like, all right, so it is this either like get over it or deal with it. Like he's just, yeah. what are you doing? But Jake just like cannot get past these issues. Yeah. And his issues sort of meld together and like intertwine because there's like the two main things which is like the connection with organized crime which he doesn't want to get involved with to to do it that way right and then his insane jealousy over his wife vicky who he assumes is going to cheat on him he's obsessed with what she's doing not really realizing that the way he's behaving would be the thing that would like drive her away in the first place like if he could just be normal for two seconds because there's really no indication in the movie itself that she ever cheats on him. You don't really ever know no. what the story is, but I definitely don't think she was planning on it. I mean, <laughs> she didn't really seem like she would was going to do that, but then he keeps like pushing it and pushing badgering, it. <laughs> like almost demanding that she do it just so that he would have something to rage about. Well, you know, she brings up this this guy that they're going to have him fight or whatever and she mentions how he's good looking. So Jake is obsessed with doing it on his own. So this is a strain on Joey, his manager. Yeah. Because he won't just get involved with Tommy Como, who's like this local mob boss guy who sort of runs the middleweight division. If you get in with him, 
you do what he says, whatever that is. They haven't like really revealed that yet, but that comes up later. Then you get what you want in the end, which is a title shot. If you don't do it that way, it seems almost impossible, even if... You win the right fights. You, you win, you beat everybody, because it's not like there's ESPN. There's nobody like... There's no Stephen A. Smith on TV like demanding that you have right. a title shot. Like there's no there's newspapers and, and I'm sure there's some sports editorials, but it's like you can't really whip up outrage during World War II that some guy's not getting a title shot. It's like <laughs> no, you know, nobody cares. Like families are being ripped apart. <laughs> Nowadays, if somebody deserves something in the sport sporting world, it, it's it'll probably happen that way, but it's not going to really work out like that at the time, not whenever like the mob is running it. So this is a strain on Joey because he doesn't really know what to do. So his plan is if Jake doesn't want to get involved with Tommy Como, then Joey's going to book a fight against an up-and-comer named Tony Gennaro at a lower weight class, which will involve Jake losing some weight to get which down is, to like 150 seems or like something. Seems like a problem for Jake. This is like a strategic move because because <laughs> in Joey's head, it's like, well, if you lose this fight because of your weight, then no one will care. It's not going to make you any less tough. In fact, it might make people who were afraid to fight you think they can fight you. Then you get the fights, then you beat them all, then you get the title shot. And if you do beat them, then you still get the title shot because there's no one else left to fight. You beat everybody and blah, blah, blah. And you definitely should beat them, so whatever. Joey, you're a genius. Not really how Jake reacts. So this is like a, a whole fight in front of like Vicky and Joey's wife and everything. And then Vicky makes this offhanded comment about Gennaro being good looking. And it does seem like this moment is like the spiral that it's leads to him like it, yeah. in prison punching the prison wall. Right, like yeah. it all can be traced back to this moment. For calling one guy good looking. <laughs> you get it though. Yeah. Because he never can like let it go. He has to like constantly badger about what she's talking about, and, you know, to the point where she's like, "Well, I don't what even... do you mean he's good looking?" <laughs> I like when later when he like wakes her up and he sees her sleep, and she's like, "I don't even know what he looks like. <laughs> I've never seen him." He's <laughs> just like, "Okay." Don't ever do that Gennaro bullshit again. No more deals like that. You hear what I'm saying? What am I talking about? Look at that. 168 pounds. You, you want a title what, shot? What, is, what am I? What am I in a circus over here? I asked him. He's got more sense about this. What are you You've doing? You've been killing yourself for three years now, right? There's nobody left for you to fight. Everybody's afraid to fight you. Okay. Along comes this kid, Gennaro. He don't know any better. He's a young kid, up and coming, and fight anybody. Good. You fight him. Bust his hole. Tear him apart. Right? What are you worried about? What's the biggest thing you got to worry about? The I'm weight. about the weight. You worried about the weight? What are we arguing about for? I just said the weight. Okay, let's say you lose because of your weight. Are they going to think you're not as tough as you were? You're not the same fighter? Good. They'll match with all those guys that were afraid to match you with before. What happens? You'll kill them. And they got to give you a title shot. Bring me coffee, please. Why? There's nobody else. Nobody's left. Who are they going to give it to? Coffee. In a minute. You listening to me? Please, honey, bring me the coffee. All right. Oh. Yeah, boy, I'm going to wait. Are you listening? <laughs> Now let's say you win. You beat Gennaro. 
Yeah. Which is definitely should be them. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. They still got to give you a shot at the title. You know why? Why? Because the same thing as before. There's nobody left. There ain't nobody around. They got to give you the shot. You understand? If you win, you win. If you lose, you still win. There's no way you can lose. And you'll do it on your own just the way you wanted to do it, without any help from anybody. You understand? Just get down to 155 pounds, you fat bastard. You stop eating. What's the problem? Stop eating, that's all. You can do it. You don't understand anything. Do you understand that? You know, Joey's right. This is an up-and-coming fighter. He's good-looking. He's popular. You beat him now. Uh, excuse me. Excuse me. What do you mean, good-looking? I'm not saying good-looking. I'm saying popular. If you yeah, win... What were you to say, well, good-looking? I'm not saying anything. I'm just telling you, Joey's hey, right. What, what, what? What are you, an authority or what? Get no, out take it. Get out of here. Take the baby and get out of here. Everybody, all the sons in authority about this. She's telling me, ah, where did she find out he's good looking, first of all? She didn't mean nothing. Who asked you? You can start with me now. When people are talking, you don't interrupt. It's none of your business. Especially if it's my brother and his wife. It got nothing to do with you. Now get out of here. Go inside. Get out. Take the baby inside. Come on. Sleep the grass. See you, okay? Change your diapers, can you see? She's, look, she's gonna change. cry, she stinks. You make her cry. I'm gonna make you cry. Yeah. Uh-huh. A couple of things. pounds, let's go to the training camp. No distractions, no wives, no phone calls. Nobody around to body. Go right on your usual schedule, Joey, usual Joey, diet. Joey, listen, I wanna ask you something. When I'm away, you ever notice anything funny going on with her? What do you Vicky? Yeah. Like what? What do you think I mean? No, I don't know. I don't notice anything. I want you to keep an eye on her. All right? For what, Jack? She don't do anything wrong. I want you to keep an eye on her while I'm away. Right? You start trouble for nothing. I'm telling you, you're cracking up. Hey, Joe, I got a reason, right? You and I won't know any woman given the right time, the right place, the right circumstance. They'll do anything, right? Yeah. I mean, anything's possible. Yeah. All right? Are you yeah, right? No. Yeah, you're not wrong, but you're picking on this girl because I saw you before. You're worried about your weight. You're getting aggravated. You tell her, what do you do? Uh, go, go inside, go inside. Who asked? Who asked? Well, if not, you're going to give her an excuse to go out. She's talking about a guy. So? So what? She was talking on your behalf. She was on my behalf. She was talking about a pretty kid. She's saying he's good looking. What are you talking about? So you make him ugly. What's the difference? That's why. Never mind, never mind. Just do it. All right. They're at the Copa before the Gennaro fight. There's so much tension. Salvi comes in. He's, like, kissing Vicky. Vicky goes to the bathroom, but then she stops at Salvi's table. Salvi's sitting with Tommy. This, of course, is just enraging. Jake, of course, His like, this blood stuff, is just boiling. This is, like, almost like, like they filmed a scene out of my life. <laughs> like, this stuff. <laughs> oh, dude, I love, like, right before this, though, like, back at the house when the whole good-looking thing happened. After... It's just Joey and Jake talking, and Jake's sort of like, well, yeah, but you know how women are or whatever, and Joey's like, yeah, I mean, they're horrible, and yes, they will do these horrible things, but you need to, like, stop with this. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's, 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 like, agreeing with Jake that he's, like, right, but he's just, like, just let it no, go. No, you're right, you're right. Yeah, I mean, that's, like, right out of Goodfellas. Yeah. It's like, you're right, you're right. <laughs> It's sort of such like a caveman mentality, but he basically thinks of women as like whores that are out of control at all time and right. they're like reined in by a it man. It is wild. And he's like have this twenty four seven surveillance over Vicky, who's like a beautiful young woman. 
and left to her own devices will just get into God knows what. And that that thought just drives him insane for the, basically the rest of the time that they're married. Yep, and it just keeps ratcheting up. And there's a lot of things that happen that don't help the situation, like her talking to these other mob dudes. It doesn't make it any easier because Joey has connections to Salvi and Tommy, and he has to like go over and make nice with them too. I did like the comedian in this scene, the guy like at the Copa, he's he's like a jokes folks guy because he's like, these are the jokes, folks. <laughs> like when people aren't laughing, <laughs> which is basically like my whole aesthetic yeah, these days. Go. I'm becoming like a fat Copa comedian <laughs> circa 1945. Later that night in the bedroom, Vicky's sleeping. Jake's just like looming, pacing. He wakes her up. He's still obsessing over the Gennaro comment. When Jake and Vicky in real life saw this movie together, they were at like the same screening and he like asked her, like, was I really this bad? And she was like, you were worse. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, it does seem like they almost hold back because eventually he's going to punch her in the face. But I have a feeling yeah, yeah. like that kind of shit happened all the time. That's the thing. I they mean, make that like the big thing it like builds towards, but like. Yeah, it does not feel like he was uh, <laughs> under control. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he didn't just decide to punch her in the face like out of the blue. I feel like that was happening from day one. When he finally fights Gennaro, it's like brutality in motion, brutality off the charts. He just like beats the shit out of him. I know like Tony Gennaro and Lamada actually did fight in real life. I couldn't actually see anything on Wikipedia about the real life fight, like what happened. Yeah. But this apparently was, uh, he like beats the shit out of him. Tommy in the crowd's like, he ain't pretty no more. Letting some of that anger out, yeah. I do think that boxers and MMA guys now, and even like professional athletes who aren't necessarily involved in like fighting, they do oftentimes search for that motivation. Michael Jordan. That's right. In the last dance. I mean, it was all about like creating that motivation out yeah. of like slights and comments that didn't even happen and right. stuff. And this could be that. Although it seems not in control in any way. So it's probably not that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it yeah. just seems like he just has no control right. over human uh, emotion at yeah, all. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not getting the sense that he's like orchestrating this at all. It's a 100% visceral reaction. Later, as Joey discusses the victory over Gennaro with journalists at the Copacabana, he's distracted by seeing Vicky approach a table with Salvi and his crew. So Joey... Goes over there and, like, grabs her away from the table. Yeah, and I love this because, like, he sees it happening in the background. I, yeah. Like, I was having, like, flashbacks to parts of my life <laughs> where it was just, like, not my brother's wife in the background. You know, my girlfriend. <laughs> Someone talking to me, and I'm just, like, looking over their shoulder. And, I mean, the things that I was seeing going on, like, weren't exactly, you know, Salvi just having a drink with someone. But oh yeah, yeah. Is this like the mall story? Uh, no, it's actually worse than that. But um, <laughs> and I'm not gonna get into it here. But uh, oh boy, no, no. But I mean, just that whole thing where like the guy's still trying to talk to Joey, and he's just kind of like looking past him, and being like, yeah, yeah. What, what? But like he's completely fixated on what's happening in the background. Yeah, I think before this, Jake asked Joey to like keep an eye on her because he was like convinced that she was like cheating on him. So. Even though Joey was not buying it and thinking that nothing was happening, now that he's seeing this, it's like pissing him off because this well, is I like mean, a this time. Well, I mean, this isn't going to end well. No matter what this is, this is not a good look. <laughs> yeah, this is a time, especially with like these type of people, where this kind of stuff 
didn't generally happen. If you're like a married woman, you weren't going to like go to the Copa with like a bunch of people that weren't your husband. I think nowadays, obviously, things are a lot different. This is like the 40s, and these were like cavemen people, basically. Well, sure. This kind of stuff just wasn't acceptable. But either to way, them. even. Even with that, I mean, she's obviously doing something that, like, her husband is not aware of that he would find inappropriate. Yeah, and you never really know much about what's going on in reality with Vicky. Like, you never really know if she ever does anything outside of the marriage. You don't know, like, what her thought process is about a lot of this stuff. Although, like, when Joey, like, pulls her away from the table, she is basically like, fuck Jake. (laughs) Well, like, yeah, I don't right. give a fuck. Yeah. Fuck him. And <laughs> maybe one of the best, most underrated lines in this whole thing, because obviously there's a lot of quotable parts, famous scenes, but Pesci almost like kind of quietly, like not wanting to make a scene, but grabbing her like in this corner of this place. And he's like, don't make me get nuts in this place. Yes. <laughs> Which, of course, happens. Oh, in a absolutely. <laughs> Blaming Salvi, Joey viciously attacks him. The fight spills out of the club. If you're watching this stuff out of order, so you've already seen Goodfellas or Casino or any of these movies where Pesci goes nuts, you've been almost like waiting for him to like uncork because he's like the level-headed one of the two. And it's like, here we go. This is the Pesci that we've come to know over the years. Just smashing his head in the car door <laughs> over and over outside. And this is what I was talking about earlier. I mean, Scorsese has a way of making horrific shit hilarious oftentimes violence not all the time but a lot of time it's so funny but if this was like happening for real you would be like oh my god like throwing up (laughs) but like in a movie with it it's pesci it's like the funniest part of the movie yeah i know this is like it's like a prelude of many over-the-top joe pesci violence usually at the expense of frank yeah really (laughs) but i mean yeah it's like he's taking one of those whatever like the poles that are holding a rope almost yeah and just like smashing him in the head with it (laughs) you know sticking him into a car and like closing the door on his head repeatedly so tommy como the local boss he smooths it over he forces these apologies he makes sure there's no grudges and you're like okay this is like his moment now he's got some leverage yeah that's the one thing that you do take away from it is like he's basically giving him a pass joey's not really getting in any trouble for this and I know we don't know how high Salvi is, but it does seem like some lines were crossed here. And usually, like, there would be some retribution. Yeah. But that's the thing. I think, like, that he's using this moment as, like, now we have some leverage over you. You know, you got to make your brother do the shit ball. we want him to do. He wants Jake to throw a fight, and it's the only way he'll get a title shot. So it's going to be this Billy Fox fight who's, like, this new up-and-coming guy. He turns out to be like terrible. I mean, it's almost like over the top. It's crazy. I, yeah, we can talk about it a little bit. But before the fight even happens, guys are coming up to Joey and Jake being like, I'm here and the fix is in. Like, yeah, because the odds start swinging at the last minute. It seems suspicious and they're like denying it. And in real life, Jake LaMotta never admitted to throwing this fight. Although from what I've heard, it's like obvious that it appeared that way. Like I said, I mean, he was involved in this movie, so it's like... Oh, right, yeah. He, he, he wasn't, have like, ripped this scene out, yeah. Jake refuses to fight back. It seems very obvious. It's nuts. It's absolutely insane. <laughs> this guy that he's fighting is so pathetic. Right away, Jake does start fighting for real, 
and he throws like one punch and the guy the like, guy's goes like down. cowering and is like it seems like he's gonna be like knocked out in like a second so then he basically has no choice he has to stop fighting jake has this emotional reaction it was almost like afterward. bruce willis in pulp fiction he would have just knocked this guy out well i think i think he uh was not going to throw that fight, though, in Pulp Fiction Yeah, at any point. It's a little different. Yeah. I think he was, like, intending to throw this fight, but he thought he could still make it look good, but then he realized he couldn't because this guy was, like, so pathetic. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, if Jake LeMond no- knocks this guy out, the rest of this movie, he's he's on the run from the mob. Yeah, with, like, his French girlfriend. That's right. When he's, like, crying after the fight and he's, like, regretting doing this, it, it is sort of, like, the one admirable quality just slipping away. And, I know. And it's gone. And now you're just left with, like, this terrible guy. <laughs> His one thing was, like, he never was going to do this, never give in to the mob. Now he's had to do it. Yeah, and it is, it's sad. Obviously, he is just, like, bawling. But, you know, like, his trainers and stuff are all getting teared up. It is, it's a sad scene. Shortly thereafter, the boxing commission suspends Jake on suspicion of throwing the fight. But we don't really deal with that time period. It's like a... I don't know, like a two-year stretch or something. And then two years later in Detroit, June 15th, 1949, he's reinstated and he's going to have a a championship fight against the middleweight champion Marcel Cerdan. The lead-up is very intense. That's the great thing about the editing. It's like a lot of times you want to leave stuff in so you can show stuff, but I think this movie shows enough where when there is a gap of two years and then you pick it up where he is now and you see how he is, you're like, oh boy. And this will be alluded to later when he says that he hears things. Oh, yeah. But you know, like, over time, things have gotten worse because he's oh, sure. isolating himself. He's brooding even more. The jealousy and rage are off the charts. He's alienating everyone with this anger because everyone's kind of in this hotel suite in the lead-up to the fight. Everything is setting him off. Like, oh, Even when Joey, like, suggests Hard to, guy to, be around. to get a cheeseburger instead of a piece of cake... He's like flipping out. He's like, "Why are you telling her what to get? Why are you recommend?" <laughs> you know, he's just, everything she is just like wants a, a thing. cheeseburger. Just make her a cheeseburger. <laughs> he wins the title, and it immediately cuts to a year later. And this is going to be the most famous scene of the movie, the the one that right. everyone knows and everything. But before we like jump into the scene itself, I mean, the takeaway here for me at least is that throughout the movie several times especially joey has referenced and i think jake to a certain extent too like just get this championship i just got to get the championship and once that happens oh yeah there's this long promised happiness that will be achieved that's right things will be calm and things will go to normal it's like us with episode 200 (laughs) i don't know i think we we talked about like way more minor episodes a lot more on the build-up like episode 25 i think we started talking about like episode three that's right (laughs) But this scene, of course, is like the evidence that there is no solution. Winning the championship, being the champion of the world, meant nothing, really, in terms of this. It, I know. it just, nothing was going to change. He was who he was. Yeah. And there's some hard truths in there for myself, even, to face. Happiness doesn't exist. That's right. <laughs> Jake is trying to, like, set up a TV. It's like the very early days of television. And. He's now found some success and money, I guess. So he's putting a TV in this house, and Joey's over, and he starts bringing up the incident with Salvi, which to this point, which it does Jake feel has like not mentioned. This is, I think, it obviously works for the movie, but when you think about the scope of his life 
it does seem wild that this just out of nowhere comes like bubbles back to the surface. Yeah, it, well, it leads you to wonder like what pro- how like, long has he been thinking about or it or who said something to him and when? Well, that's he does true, say yeah. that he like heard things because I think he probably initially heard that there was an incident between his brother and Salvi, and then he kind of got the Cliff's Notes version about like Tommy smoothing it over, and he probably didn't realize it had anything to do with him, and then somebody got in his ear that maybe right. like Vicky was involved in some way, and now he doesn't know what that means. And I think even though like his response is inappropriate, and as we've stated over and over, you know his violence is everything is over the top and and not acceptable. But there is like a relatability to like when you hear that piece of gossip and you're not sure what it means. Yeah. And so your mind can go in like all these different ways. It goes into this ways. weird thing of like this thing that everyone knows about except for you. And people well, have yeah, there's known that about it. Too. That's dark. Well, there, yeah, that's a huge part of it too. But he doesn't know if that means that she fucks Salvi in his mind. I mean, you know, I know she didn't necessarily have sex with anyone. But in right. his mind, it's like, did she fuck Salvi? Did she fuck my brother? Was he fucking her? And then Salvi did, and then he got jealous, and that's what that was about. Or did he find out that Salvi did something, and that's why? And then he decided to protect her and not tell me, or, you know, whatever. There's a million different possibilities. And so if he just kind of knows, like, the basics, which are like, well, maybe Vicky was involved, then that leads to, like, a whole yeah. <laughs> clusterfuck of possibilities. Really? And so in a mind like his, it's like poison. It's one of the best things ever when he's like, he's just like saying all this shit and then he eventually is like, you fuck my wife. And the way that Joe Pesci acts this scene is so great. And like, he basically has like the greatest what response ever. Oh, really? <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> With that look on his face, like, what? <laughs> and it just goes on and on and on and it builds. This is why there is like that little tinge of mystery. Because I definitely saw people commenting on stupid oh, shit. Yeah. Where they're like, yeah, she fucked joey or whatever and i'm like yeah i know that's the thing that's just stupid people on youtube commenting that but you don't actually ever know because joey won't actually deny it i think that's intentional you know that that it's just like that you don't know for sure i don't think that she i definitely don't think she had sex with joey i don't think so either unless it was before they were married crossed my mind as a possibility and like he has been carrying that secret jake was like grilling him before he ever even talked to Vicky for the first time and Joey kept saying like no he tried to fuck her but she didn't want to or whatever yeah but I don't know why you would deny it I mean if he just admitted it right then then maybe no, Jake would have never got with her again in the I, first place. I, I'm in the camp that I, I don't think and this plus, ever happened but I do I think it works for the movie leaving just yeah, that's that little th- bit of mystery that's there. the thing like there's a big difference between what happens in the movie Raging Bull versus what happened in these people's real lives. Correct, yeah. Who knows what... She probably never did anything in real life, I would imagine. But, I, you know, I imagine they spice she, it up. Probably, she probably lived in fear. <laughs> yeah, they spice it up a little bit for the movie. They leave that out there because Joey won't answer the question directly and he basically like storms off. Like, how could you ask me that? Which is questionable behavior. Yeah, they do position his response in a way where you're like well he he does act somewhat guilty right based on like how he's answering the question but 
you also have to understand that like when you're kind of physically afraid of the person grilling you that your answers may come out in a way that makes you seem guilty because you're true. kind of getting more nervous <laughs> right. as it's happening <laughs> like is this guy going to kill me because you know that the truth doesn't matter at a certain yeah, yeah. point with somebody like him because the truth all along is maybe Vicky never stepped out on him at all, but like he Look just at this life that he's it. living. <laughs> yeah. Despite that. He just could not ever come to grips with it. So Joey leaves and then Jake goes upstairs to confront Vicky. This is like a pretty She's like, here we go again. Great scene. She goes into the bathroom, he breaks the door down. This was released the same year as The Shining. Wow. Two crazy men right. breaking bathroom yeah. doors down. <laughs> the violence is starting up here where he's like slapping her around they're fighting and i do love that she just like kind of gets sick of it and like gives it back to him that's right yeah her like sarcastic admissions where she's like yeah Yeah, i fucked fucked all of them them. i blew your brother his dick is bigger than yours (laughs) which is a little bit like irma when irma was like yelling gay slurs out the window at joey and jake (laughs) which was pretty (laughs) hilarious too so, I mean, eventually these women are, like, pushed to the point where they're just like, I don't Fuck give a off, shit if yeah. he beats me up. I'm really? just going to yell at him. But then, because of his blinding rage, I guess he just kind of takes that as an admission of truth at that point. And so he's going to storm off to Joey's. And so Jake and Vicky's drama spills into the streets. She's sort of pursuing him. Yeah, it's This is, like, like I, unbelievable. Again, it's like this relentless, like, he's not going to move on from this until... Basically, one of them tells him what he wants to hear, which is that this happened. Yeah. Like, there's no other way that this ends. Yeah, because there's nothing that can prove that it didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. So he'll never be satisfied. So, like, this was all going to end in him going to beat the shit out of his brother. Who were you? Was it my sister? What'd you wear after that? Timothy. Yeah, what'd you say? Father of the bride. How come you didn't tell me about the cobra? Hmm? Tell you what about it? You know. How come you didn't tell me about it? Why didn't you tell me about it, huh? I don't know what you're talking about. Why didn't you tell me, huh? Did you fuck my brother? Get off me, you fat pig! Did you, huh? No! Open the door. Get away! Come on, open the door. I want to talk Get to you. Get away from me, you're sick. I just want to ask you one thing. Why did you fuck Joey? Get away! Open the door. No. Why'd you do it? Why'd you do it, huh? Why'd you do it? I didn't do it! Why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? Why did you fuck them? Do what? I didn't do anything! I fucked all of them! What do you want me to say? What do you mean you fuck? Who'd you fuck? I fucked all of them, Tommy, Salvi, your brother, all of them. I sucked your brother's cock. What do you want me to say? You sucked his cock. Yeah, I sucked his cock and everybody else on the fucking street, too. What do you want? You're nothing but a fat pig, selfish fool. Get fucking you. There's fucking cock being in your town! Where you going? If I see you put your hands in that plate one more time, I'm gonna stab you with this knife, you hear me? I told you, keep your hands out of the plate. Right. Peace around here, 
Anything in like probably the 50s and earlier, you could just like beat your family in the streets. Oh, wild yeah. shit anyone, happening. Yeah. Well, no, not anyone. And then the police might get involved. But I mean, well, if yeah. it's like your own wife or your own kids, I mean, it seemed like that was just normal. I'm just thinking about like Sonny with Carlo and The Godfather Part One. Well, that's a family. That's dispute. okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's a family right. dispute. Because <laughs> him and Vicky are basically like almost fighting in the street physically. And people are just kind of like, well, not my business. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and that's just like how it was. I just think the world was way more accustomed to crazy shit back then. I mean, we have our own crazy shit now that would blow people's minds, but this kind of stuff just would never happen now. Without, yeah. Like, imagine po- if Jake's intervention and people <laughs> freaking out. Imagine if Jake's wife, you know, had an Instagram account, the amount of people's asses he would have been beating. <laughs> Yeah, because she's posting pictures of her ass. That's right. On Instagram. He storms over to Joey's house, Vicky in hot pursuit, full meltdown, assaults Joey in front of his wife and kids, just like beating the shit out of him. The two wives are trying to pull him off. And it basically ends with him punching Vicky in the face, knocking her unconscious, like on top of Joey and his wife. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just sort of a crazy thing. And like Joey's kids are just standing there watching this. They're very young. Although it is crazy because before Jake storms in, Joey's like telling his son, he's like, if you put your hand in that again, I'm going to stab you with this knife. <laughs> Which is so crazy. Fun, yeah, parenting tactics. His wife, Lenore, I, I can't remember her name. I think she's dead now. She was in like, I want to hold your hand, is like this, the Robert Zemeckis oh, yeah. movie. Is this the same wife he's had throughout the movie? Yeah. Yeah. But I love the one part where they're talking about going to dinner. And he's yeah, and like, he's there with another girl. Right. And Vicky's there. Yeah, I know. Too. I thought that was like insane, too. That's another thing where you speak the time. It's like, that's not Vicky's business, and she would know better than to say anything. Wild. I know. It's crazy. What a time. Vicky's unconscious. Jake is sort of like waiting back at the house when she gets in. Vicky shows up. She doesn't say anything. She starts packing her stuff, but then... He gives her a hug. He's like apologizing and that's like enough. I think I did think like the bruise on her face like looked ridiculous, but I think they had to make it look ridiculous so it would show up in right. black and white. But I mean it looks so insane. Yeah. But there's no reconciliation with Joey and this is the actual decline now in Jake's career. Yeah, he loses the title. The rings get bigger for these fights, signifying he's like kind of swimming out there. Yep. He loses the title to Sugar Ray Robinson in their last fight in 1951. He's battered beyond belief. This is where he just like it's just just basically stops punching up. back yeah. or even trying to defend himself, but he's not getting knocked down, but he's just getting punched over and over. I did like that final shot of that fight where it's just like the ring rope with like the ring of oh, yeah. blood around the rope there. It's kind of a, a memorable looking thing. And then it jumps ahead to Miami 1956. You almost feel like you're in a different movie at this point. Retirement, 
I'm surprised that like Vicky and the kids it's, that they actually went to Miami yeah, yeah. to this point. Like they're still together in 1956, so they've been married essentially for 11 years when we find out when he does that like routine i think they got married in 45 yep he's fat now this is the transformation for de niro he opens up a club he thinks it's like really great that he names it jake lamada's which is kind of funny <laughs> i don't know why you'd put the jake part i yeah, mean yeah. lamada is like such a cool name you'd be like lamada's i think is like a better name but whatever yeah and now he's transitioning his manager back yeah, then well See, without Joey, he's, That's he's right. lost. Yeah. He needs somebody to make these Drop decisions. Drop the Jake. Just Lamadas. <laughs> it's cleaner. He's transitioning to an entertainer or a comedian at this point. For me, and I think for most people, this would be like cringe city. But in that initial scene of him on stage at his own club, he's getting laughs. You were like, he's pretty good. I wasn't like, he's pretty good, but <laughs> he is getting laughs. Yeah. <laughs> So there's these two girls. There's like a bartender that doesn't want to serve them. They say that they're 21. They don't have any proof. They look pretty old. The one's wearing like a pretty low cut dress. She looks older. He's like, hey, do you have any proof? And their proof is to like kiss them. And he's like, good enough for me. Yeah. He's like, these girls kiss like they're 21. They can drink in my <laughs> bar or whatever. They don't really actually show him do what he's like accused of doing, which. I wasn't sure if that was like a prostitution thing or yeah. like what that was supposed to mean. Somehow soliciting them to. Well, other this is going to come back to bite him later. Yeah. So then he stays out all night at the club. Vicky's there in the morning in the parking lot in a car. She wants a divorce and custody of the kids, threatens them with the police. He's sort of, I mean, he doesn't really accept it, but he just kind of, what is he going to do? And she drives well, off. Well, it doesn't feel like the rage is quite there anymore. He's too tired. Yeah. Fat. It's a long time coming. I don't think he necessarily could have been shocked. We find out when the police wake him up, it seems like he's sleeping at his own club at this point because, you know, she probably has the house. That the girl that he let be at the bar was only 14, and he's accused of, quote, introducing her to men is how they put it. I would assume for some sort of sexual thing, but the details of which are never really explained. I mean, I guess, yeah, I don't know. It is strange. Uh, I just have to think that this is like, A, it's Florida where like the laws are kind of crazy. And this is a long time ago in the 50s. So, yeah, who knows? He does. Any morality bullshit, you know. He does try the argument of though, like, does she look 14? (laughs) The the cops is like, what do you want me to say? (laughs) Just like won't say it. But yeah, in the one picture, she doesn't look 14. I think like in one of the special features... I can't remember which one, but I think like they were talking about it and they were like, these old dudes who like knew Jake LaMotta or were around at that time, they were like, yeah, I mean, she looked like she was like 30 years old. <laughs> you know what I mean? They still weren't like letting it <laughs> yeah, go. <yeah. laughs> They're like, yeah, there's no way she was 14. <laughs> His lawyer tells him that he can get out of it if he can put together a bribe, like spread around $10,000. He kind of fails at doing this. Because yeah, really a sad showing for the former world champion. Well, he has this rare championship belt. I mean, how many people have these? But then yeah, he yeah. makes the dumb decision of like, well, I'm going to pry the jewels off of it and try to sell the jewels by themselves, which blows up in his face. And there's that shot of him, like his gut, like hanging out in the phone booth, which I thought yeah. was like hilarious. Rough. And he ends up in prison. And this is another very memorable moment of this film this wall punching meltdown where he's like, 
screaming I'm not an animal and I remember the first time I ever saw this movie which I think was in college and I was like almost like nauseous at him like punching yeah the it wall. is upsetting he's like punching the wall like a concrete wall as hard as he can slamming his head into it oh yeah it's, it's like hard a to sickening watch. noise <laughs> just like but the like- grossest thuds This is like his big come to Jesus moment for all of his crimes of his life. And yet he's like out of prison within like a year. Yeah. Then it goes to like New York 1958. Because I think he went into prison in 57. He's back in New York by 58. and this Back on the stand-up circuit. Sort of just like a little tale to this movie. There's really not a whole lot of a point to it. Other than he, of course, eventually runs into Joey. Real bleak stand-up gig. Really? It's I opening. picture like the future of this show when we're doing live. He opens for... clinging to any last possible... <laughs> If we actually had that many people laughing at it, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> Three people smoking cigarettes, yeah. Some people were chuckling. Yeah. He opens for what is essentially like an old-timey stripper. You want to know something real dark? Yeah, I do. So, so like... We're this deep into the show that, yes. Okay, so this woman that he opens up for is like this performer named Miss 48, or Emma 48, or All whatever. Right. Sort of like this burlesque stripper type yeah. person. She was played by a woman named Rita Bennett. I was looking on IMDb and I looked this person up and click on her name and I go to her little page here and it says she's born in 1941 or whatever. Doesn't have a died date. So I'm like, oh, she's still alive. I'm like looking at her filmography. She was only in like all that jazz as a stripper. Oh, yeah. I think she right. was a stripper in real life. She was also in like, softcore okay. movies that don't make it on IMDb apparently. And she was in Raging Bull, and she was in, like, a couple of other things I never heard of. But, like, oh, here's some of the softcore stuff from, like, the very early 70s. And I'm like, okay. So I'm like, I click on her little biography, and I'll show you the size. I mean, there's a whole paragraph about oh, wow. this woman. And yeah, I'm like, oh, that's her. weird. <laughs> so I'm, like, reading here through the end. It's like, okay, Bennett quit acting and stripping in the mid-1980s and went to focus on fashion and animal welfare instead. And then the last sentence here just sort of really... Last couple sentences. Alas, Rita had serious problems with alcoholism throughout Mm. her life. Bennett died in 2017. Her body was unclaimed and ultimately wound up buried in a potter's field. Wow. Which is where they put homeless people and people that have no families. Sad. Just throw them in a pile, basically, on an island. 
really why would you put that on imdb you know what i mean like i always end up depressed like reading this shit i'm just like what the fuck she was in raging bull really and she has lines i mean she says a couple lines to jake it's like it's kind of a jake lamada ending to her life (laughs) it's a thousand times worse (laughs) what are you talking about (laughs) anyway this is just some minor little character at the end of this movie yeah she will be missed though we'll say that Chance encounter with Joey just randomly sees his brother on the street. He hasn't talked yeah. to him in a long time at this point. Probably, I don't know, was it like 10 years? Yeah. He chases him down. Joey doesn't want to talk to him. He like basically forces him to talk to him at his car. That's right, yeah. Pesci looks tiny. I think they tried to looks have him different. look smaller yeah. so that Jake would even seem fatter. He's got like that mustache he looks and his weird he hair. through the rest of the movie i would say yeah i think it might be makeup though i don't know if he yeah okay. lost weight yeah. for this two minutes right scene. but yeah he like kind of forgives him but he's like elusive and distant he says he's gonna call him pesci looks completely bizarre with that mustache just yeah unlike right like pesci has ever looked yes i mean his hair throughout this is weird but his hair in this scene is also strange because it's kind of like that widow's peak he's like older now yeah it's quite a look that he's rocking yeah you never really know if this is a reconciliation or not. Like, if they if there is going to be this other meetup or this call. Because this happened in 1958, and then it cuts to 1964. That's when De Niro's by himself in the dressing room before some performance. It definitely feels this is the reminiscent to Boogie scene. Nights. Yeah. Instead of pulling his dick out, which would have been very... <laughs> what an ending to this oh, movie. Oh, wow, yeah. People are like, sure. what the fuck? <laughs> He starts doing the I could have been a contender scene from the 1954 film On the Waterfront, which, of course, Marlon Brando's character in that, you never actually see him box, but he was like a guy who was like in the boxing circuit, and then he takes a dive. So there's like this whole... Yeah, this connection there. ...connection to what he did. Some people aren't that lucky. Like the one that Marlon Brando played in On the Waterfront, an up-and-comer who's now a down-and-outer. You remember that scene in the back of the car with his brother Charlie, a small-time racket guy, and it went something like this. It wasn't him, Charlie, it was you. You remember that night at the garden, you came down my dressing room and you said, kid, this ain't your night. We're going for the price on Wilson. Remember that? This ain't your night. My night. I could have taken Wilson apart that night. So what happens? He gets a title shot outdoors in a ballpark, and what do I get? A one-way ticket to Palookaville. I was never no good after that night, Charlie. It was like a peak you reach, and then it's downhill. It was you, Charlie. You was my brother. You should have looked out for me a little bit. You should have looked out for me just a little bit. You should have taken care of me just a little bit. Instead of making me take them dice for the short end money. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Instead of a bum, which is what I am. Let's face it. It was you, Charlie. It was you, Charlie. How you doing, Jake? Everything all right? Yeah. Ready? You got about five minutes. Okay. Need anything? Nah. You sure? I'm sure. A lot of people out there. Yeah, it's crowded. 
Go get him, champ. And then it ends. Before we talk about the legacy, I'll, I'll just uh, talk about that sequel real fast. I'm sure people are really interested. <laughs> yeah, really, this is like the big stuff that we got to get to. In 2006, Variety reported that Sunset Pictures was developing a sequel entitled Raging Bull 2, Continuing the Story of Jake LaMotta. That was the title. Wow. Chronicling LaMotta's early life as told in the sequel novel of the same name. Filming began on June 15, 2012 with William Forsythe as an older LaMotta and Morjean okay. Aria as the younger version. You can't even click on that guy's name on, that, on Wikipedia. Sad. Before the events of the first film. The film, directed by Martin Juji, also stars Joe Montagna, Tom Sizemore, Penelope Ann Miller, Natasha Henstrich, Alicia really? Witt, wow. Ray Wise. Harry okay. Hamlin. Yeah, this is like a straight to sci-fi original. And James Russo as Rocky Graziano. In July 2012, MGM owners of United Artists filed a lawsuit against LaMotta and the producers of Raging Bull 2. To keep the new film from being released, the former party argued that they have rights to make any authorized sequel to the original book, which goes back to an agreement LaMotta and co-author Peter Savage made with blah, 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 blah. In addition, MGM argues that the defendants are publicly claiming the film to be a sequel to the original film, which could most likely, quote, tarnish its predecessor's reputation. In August 2012, the producers retitled the film The Bronx Bull, disassociating itself as a sequel to Raging Bull, and the lawsuit was subsequently dropped. No one knows about that movie. What a journey for that movie. Yeah, and then it came out. And, you know, when I was looking at the poster, I was like, I vaguely might have remember maybe seeing this somewhere. Not the movie, but like... The poster, or right. maybe it was on like a streaming service or something. I don't know. Anyway, the legacy of the movie is sort of endless, and it seems to be more appreciated as years go by. As we, as I yeah. said, I mean, it's now considered like the best movie of the '80s. Yeah, it's definitely a great movie. I, number four on the most recent AFI list. That's yeah, it's like right up there amongst like wow. Citizen Kane and The Godfather. And yeah, everything else. Kind of crazy because you don't really think of a boxing movie is something like on that same sort of level of importance. But that's the thing. Like when you watch the movie, it doesn't really feel like a boxing movie, even though there's like boxing scenes in it. I think there's only maybe 10 minutes of yeah. the entire two hours and nine minute running time of boxing. Well, and the boxing definitely peters out. Yeah. It's sort of like how the best other sports movies like Bull Durham and stuff aren't really about like the sport necessarily right, yeah. or the actual playing of the sport. It's a character study of a real person, but done in a way where you forget that it's a real person and it becomes a character and you sort of project yourself onto it, even though hopefully you're not as insane as as Jake. But even if you don't behave the way that he behaves, like you can sometimes see yourself in the jealousy or the anger or, or things like that, especially men. I mean, it is like a very male movie. And I think oh, nowadays yeah. you get criticized for stuff like that, but I think like the exploration of it is very true Listen, and real. Yeah, there was certainly a time in my life when uh, I could relate to just this insane jealousy and just acting like a complete fool because of it. Now I didn't carry it on for twenty years, but uh, amateur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, yeah, what you're saying is true, and I mean, I think that's the thing that you got to take away is like that 
you you have to reckon with these things as a human being or as a man or, or whatever. I'm sure that some women deal with this stuff too in different ways. I mean, certainly probably their own embarrassing feelings. Well, they're less yeah. likely to beat the shit out of people. I mean, that does happen, oh, sure. but less common. So there's always like, if it That's was going to happen, with, it would probably be at me. With men, there is like that level of scary violence that yeah, people yeah, right. have to deal with sometimes. But yeah, I mean, the the emotional truth of it is real. It is strange to think that like both Jake and Vicky were like alive at the time of this and had been divorced for like a long time. Yeah, Jake would live a long life and only died like a few years ago, which is really insane. Yeah, that is about. nuts. <laughs> Okay, this movie's 40 years old, and it seems like since it's in black and white, and you know what I mean? It seems like it's a million years prior. Well, it feels like prior. it was being made at the end of Jake LaMotta's life. Yeah, he's just one of those people that just like kept on living yeah. for some reason. He was like 80 <laughs> years old when they made this movie, and he died when he was like 120. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, let's get to recommendations. I'm sure we're going to circle back yeah. and do more Scorsese at some point. This is only our second one, which is weird. Someday we might do Goodfellas. Uh, yeah, never say never. It's a daunting task yeah. to, to look at that movie. It really is. I wouldn't mind doing some of the more obscure, like lesser popular ones too, but we'll see. Yeah. There's a lot of good ones to choose from. That's the thing. It's like we're approaching episode 200. You think like, God, what else could we possibly do? And then you realize there's like a million more things. I know. So. It's a never ending pool. What are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. Recommendations. I'm going to recommend another HBO Max thing. I know it feels like maybe our recommendations have turned into a commercial for HBO Max, but at least mine. Yeah. I actually think I've been watching HBO Max more than any other streaming thing lately. Yeah, I have. I've been watching a lot of it as well. It's great. I just wish it was like more readily available. I'm infuriated with Roku. Why the fuck did I buy this if you're not going to put all the apps on there and you're going to like haggle with them and try to get more money? I know. It's like I bought you to just be a thing that has apps, not to like, you know, now they're trying to like push their own Roku app and all that stupid. It's like, get the fuck out of here. You were supposed to just be a, a means to that get sucks. this stuff. So I, they I won't put Peacock on there. Stuff out. Once The Office is on Peacock and then HBO Max has friends, it's like, you got to get on Roku. Like, what the fuck is going on? Anyway, HBO Max is great. They have all of this DC content. I know, like, DC's sort of hit or miss with the movies, but a lot of great animated movies and a lot of great stuff taken over from the DC streaming app, which I think is probably going to stop existing here if it hasn't already. And the big one is this fairly new cartoon called Harley Quinn, which in my opinion is the best adaptation or interpretation of Harley Quinn since the original one, which would be Batman the Animated Series when the character was created. It already has two seasons, even though it started in November. (laughs) They did a second season in the spring. Yeah. Kaylee Cuoco does the voice of Harley Quinn. Lake Bell is Poison Ivy. I wasn't really sure what this show was going to be like. You know, the tone of Birds of Prey, I know that I recommended it on this show, but, you know, it's kind of dumb. And even though, like, Margot Robbie is, like, one of the biggest actresses ever, and I I do love her, I I am kind of disappointed with what they've done with her so far. Not that she's a bad Harley Quinn, because I do think she was the only part of Suicide Squad that was fun. Yeah. 
and her and Birds of Prey was like kind of fun too. But like, I feel like they could be doing more with it. They're just not like embracing it fully. And this version, I know it's a cartoon and you can kind of get away with more and it's easier to do violence and shit, but it's an R rated cartoon that's shockingly violent. Yeah. And they are very meta and they reference all kinds of Batman stuff, all kinds of DC stuff, like different versions of it, different iterations, different stories, but it's its own unique thing. It's very self-aware. It gets even more self-aware in the second season, which I know, Matt, you've watched the first season. Yeah. I recommend it highly. I would say way funnier than I ever would have imagined. Yeah. I, I was finding myself laughing a lot after you had told me about it. And I was a little bit like, I don't know, because I anything animated, I still just have like a hard time with getting myself excited to watch, like thinking that I'm going to be into it. But I was like pretty in laughing on it pretty quickly. Yeah, it has a very modern sense of humor in a way that's not like annoying. It's just like a fun comic book show that doesn't really take itself super seriously. So you can check out both seasons in full on HBO Max. And I would not rule out the possibility of us talking about that show as an episode maybe one day so maybe check it out <laughs> or else it'll yeah. be another bug juice <laughs> where it's just for us okay. all right take it over I, your I, recommendation I, I have two uh, i'll keep them quick both sort of weirdly referenced or tied into things that we mentioned on this episode but first streaming on hulu one of our favorite topics you actually showed me the trailer for this originally palm springs a time loop movie I showed you the trailer for this. I think so. Or you told me about it. I don't think I've ever even seen a trailer for uh, Palm Springs. I know a lot about it. Just okay, maybe you were just maybe you were it. just telling me about it then. Features Andy Samberg and the first wife from The Wolf of Wall Street. Right. What's her name? Chris, uh, Christine uh, Milotti or something? Uh, it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. So I would say it's okay. It's a... Pretty it's, strong recommendation yeah, it's at, a, right off the bat. It's a fun time. And l- listen, there's not a lot of new content out there right now, you know? I've been meaning to watch it. I just kind of like how you said about animated movies. I'm kind of feeling about Andy Samberg at this yeah, point. I, I know. can't get psyched I, it was up. Tough. It was tough for me, too. There is some funny stuff in it, though. And they do some kind of like fun approaches to just the whole time loop thing. An idea that is always fun. You know, Groundhog Day, Happy yeah. Death Day. Happy Death Day to you. <laughs> Just a lot of good stuff. But, Edge of you know, tomorrow. There's some laughs in there. It's it's fun. It's certainly like, it's one of these things where you get on and you look at it and you're like, wow, Rotten Tomato score of 95%. It must be amazing. No. But for, for not being a lot of new content out there right now, it, it's just like a fun throwaway. We don't need to do our watch. Rotten Tomatoes rant right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say we, we, we might do it for the pod someday if we get to like episode, you know, 3,000. 3, <laughs> <laughs> Same joke. And then the other one, just we're in August, summer winding down. I don't know if this is streaming on anything right now, but it usually is. I watched the Blu-ray last night. An episode we did for the pod pretty early on, probably our most heavily criticized episode <laughs> Adventureland just like such a great movie really I you know so relatable to a time in life captures a time in life in a way to me that I don't know is it really captured as perfectly by any other movie great soundtrack I just it's almost I like a movie, movie. I'm, a, I'm like intimidated if I think about rewatching it because it's, it's almost like too much yeah well <laughs> like, like there's movies now that are like too much for me to handle well that's the thing yeah, like, i just relate to it too much 
And I mean, there's sort of a lot of awkwardness between like Jesse Eisenberg and Kristen Stewart, but it it plays real to me. It feels like, you know, it's a great movie. Yeah, it it really is. So I watched it Filmed in Pittsburgh. That's right. And I watched it this week, just feeling, wanting to watch like a summer movie and, and it's just a perfect one for me. Yeah, well, I would not recommend going back and re-listening to our Adventureland episode no. <laughs> because apparently it's boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. We've we've really taken that to heart. You know what? It probably was. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it was probably like the best criticism we ever got. There's, you know, out of our first like 100 episodes, there's probably about like 60 that I'd love to just redo and yeah. have another crack at because we just sucked. <laughs> So that ties in with what we were talking about yeah. at the beginning, which I just sort of randomly went into for no reason, but now it ties back in, which is, you know, if you're going to introduce new people, have them listen to the more recent ones. Those early ones are tough. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'd rather you listen to, like, that two minutes about Adventureland than the Adventureland episode. Well, I'm sure it's a lot like the Bug Juice one, where there's probably, like, decent stuff in there, but it yeah. just needs to be cleaner. It needs to be cleaned out. Yep. If you cut out all the unnecessary silence and ohms, get it's it down like to like 20 minutes. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably 14 minutes of solid material in there. All right. So we got to wrap this up. Yeah, this really. is a long one. Thanks for listening. Like I said, we're going to have a nice little run here for a while before we take another break. Hopefully, I think, as we mentioned, there's always a possibility that something could happen in sure. these uncertain times we're living in. But And even unrelated to that. We're ready to roll. We're, we got something really fun planned coming up soon. Hope everyone will enjoy it. It's not another one trashy summer. It's something that people will actually like. So, Oh, wow. <laughs> I think. Do you sure. have your finger on the pulse of what people really like? I don't know. I've been wrong plenty of times with this podcast. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.
Joey, I gotta ask you something. What's that, Jake? It's a question. What's the matter, Jake? What's wrong? Did you shampoo my wife? <laughs> oh, how can you ask that? I'm your brother. Answer the shampoo in question, Joey. Did you or did you not shampoo my wife? You know what? You're a sick shampoo, you know that? I'm not gonna answer you, cause your head is all shampooed up over here. In fact, why don't you go shampoo yourself, you stupid, paranoid mother shampooer? 